This is The Joe Gaither Show on BamaCentral.com. Good afternoon, Tuscaloosa. Internet World, West Alabama. How are you doing on this beautiful, ooh, rainy Wednesday in West Alabama? Hope you guys are doing very well. It's uh, you made it halfway through the week. We're gonna have another fun edition of the Joe Gaither Show right here on Bama Central. You can follow us at Joe Gaither Six on all the social media machines. You can follow us at Bama Central on X at Alabama Crimson Tide on Sports Illustrated on Facebook. We are your Sports Illustrated home for the Crimson Tide. We invite you to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on Amazon. We're a proud part of the Bama Central Broadcasting Networks with our friends Blue Collar Unplugged, who I know recorded a new episode today. So it's going to be dropping, I believe, right in time for Alabama's matchup against Tennessee. Make sure you subscribe to uh, Blue Collar Unplugged, Blake Byler, Matthew Gibson, and Jacob Pickle. But today, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to go up to Indianapolis. We're going to do two things. We're going to go up to Indianapolis and talk about the Combine, which I made fun of yesterday. Uh, so we're going to get a little more serious perspective today. And then we're going to do 3-2-1. Remember, 3-2-1 uh, today is going to be Nick Saban related. It's going to be the three biggest non-Alabama wins in the Nick Saban era. It's going to be the two biggest losses in the Nick Saban era. And it's going to be the single best player in the Nick Saban era. So you guys can chime in on that in the comments section at Joe Gaither 6 on any of your social media machines. So let's get right into it. At the NFL Combine, part of the uh, Walsh Writing Network, Joey Van Zimmeren and uh, Quentin Corpuel joins us from Mizzou Central and writing for Bama Central and a little bit for Cowbell Corner. Chris Walsh uh, kind of taking over Fan Nation with a great little team. These guys up in Indianapolis Joey, what's going on, man? A long time no see. Uh, how, how is how are things in Indianapolis? Absolutely, uh, glad to be back on. Uh, it's been great in Indy so far. Uh, this has been an event that I've always wanted to cover, just because you're right in the center of the NFL world. Obviously, it's a, a big pre-draft event, uh, but also just every general manager, or not every, uh, but close to every NFL head coach and general manager is here. So. Uh, really just walking in downtown Indy throughout these last few days, you're you're really just right in the center of it, and it's uh, been a great experience so far. And obviously uh, quite a few uh, representations for uh, Alabama, uh, Missouri, and not as much for Mississippi State, but uh, players from all three schools here uh, this week. Well, let's meet your uh, your tag team partner. Quentin Corpuel joins the show for the first time. He's right for Mizzou Central as well. You guys are escaping the basketball season at the moment, hanging out with some uh, with some football. Quentin, tell me about your NFL interest just a little bit and your experience in, in Indianapolis so far. I'm sorry. Could you repeat the first part of that question? I couldn't really hear you. The first part of the question is, do you like the NFL? I, I know Joey is a big old Packers guy, and we mm. – we, we we forgive him for now, but but, but Quentin, do you what, what's your NFL affinity? Obviously, you're there covering uh, the draft, and you're covering Mizzou, the, the Missouri players, the ten Alabama players, and just kind of the players that are catching your eye. But what's kind of uh, your angle from a personal standpoint? Yeah, so I'm a I'm a big NFL fan. Been following the league for as long as I can remember. I was a New York Giants fan. My dad's side of the family is all from the New York, Connecticut area, so pass this fandom down to me and so I've, I've grown up watching the NFL um, I've been interested in the draft and the combine for several years now and to be able to get to cover it as a member of the media is, has been super cool so far and uh, I went as a as a fan in 2022 I remember seeing Evan Neal I was like wow that is a large human being um, and I was that was really one of my first times being that close to NFL players. And so to be here again as a member of the media and being able to talk about it as a member of the media, it's it's been super cool. And I'm looking forward to workouts that start tomorrow. All right, so you're on the spot, Quentin, because I totally trashed the workouts yesterday on the Joe Gaither Show right here at Bama Central. And if you missed that show, you can watch it on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter on all the social media outlets. I, you've got all the information that you need from these players on the Catapult app and basically through the GPS system and NFL Next Gen. Uh, you can see what they do on the film. What's the point of these workouts and how, what makes the combine valuable? I think similar to something like the Senior Bowl or the East-West Shrine Bowl, it gives NFL decision makers and scouts and even people in uh, college and NFL media to get their eyes on them in person. 
uh, for a lot of these players, a lot of people that are going to be making decisions that are going to be taking these players. They haven't gotten a chance to see them in person yet. They haven't gotten a chance to talk to them yet. And these, like, not all-star games, but the combine, it gives them a chance to do that. And so I've heard at least two or three GMs and head coaches say this week that they really just are trying to get to know these players um, as people and not just football players. And I forget who said it, but one coach GM basically said, look, if you're going to invest in something, you want to know what you're getting. That's uh, Brad Holmes. Is that uh, Brad Holmes? Okay. Lions GM. Yeah, yeah, so the Lions GM, Brad Holmes, um, he said, if you're investing in something, you, you really want to know what you're getting. And the combine offers these coaches and GMs to really, really know what they're getting in these players. So that's that's why I think it's valuable. I understand why people like you might not think it is, but <laughs> I, I, do, I do think there is at least some. Yeah. Well, Joey, I praise the medicals and I praise the interviews. Uh, and, and so the, so tomorrow, really, I guess today and tomorrow really, really is uh, where, where that takes place. The uh, the workouts getting going on Thursday through the rest of the weekend. Outside of the interviews and the medicals, which I do think have merit, and the face-to-face contact, as Quentin, mm-hmm. you said, I think is absolutely valuable. But I mean, putting them in, through the Underwear Olympics, who cares if you're running a 4.5 or a 4.8 or if you like if you woke up a little cold that day or if you're you you know you, you're not throwing to the receivers you've been throwing to all year or the receivers you're going to be throwing to in the future. Like, what are those workouts really worth at this point? Sure. Yeah. Um there's an interesting kind of debate, I guess you could say, about uh, what teams really use the Senior Bowl and the line. I think for uh, the people on the outside that just pay attention to the draft and really enjoy the draft process, it's just a really fun uh, place to kind of watch all of these players um, at the same time. Um, I do think, though, how NFL teams use it, it's more so instead of compared to on the outside where there's sometimes guys that – uh, if they have a really good combine, maybe they'll jump off, uh, jump up on a few mock drafts. I think for NFL teams, though, they more so, you know, the whole week is just a bunch of data collection. Um, you know, a lot of it is the the medicals, like you mentioned, um, but it just a lot of data measurements being collected um, that I think they really use to kind of confirm what they see on the tape. Um, you know, see. Or really, maybe go look back out on the tape if uh, a player has uh, a slow forty to see. Okay, maybe the playing speed is faster, maybe or vice versa. Maybe it's slower than what they actually ran. Um, so I, I think this week is very important for them just to to get to know more about the prospects. Um, it's definitely I definitely get the criticism of it's um, interesting to see how the NFL has kind of promoted this event um, increasingly more over the years um, when it's not. Uh, like the most exciting thing in the world. Um, but uh, I, I do definitely think it's an important week uh, for these NFL teams to get to know these prospects. Absolutely. So, Quentin, on that note, I basically compared it yesterday as an NFL event to stay on the calendar, stay relevant. And us, from a media perspective, hell yeah, we're thankful. We get something to do. We get content to enjoy. And trust me, on Thursday through Sunday, NFL Network, I will be watching the Underwear Olympics. I'll be thinking, what the heck is this? But I'll be enjoying it. So who are some of the Missouri, Alabama, or uh, Mississippi State players that you are really focused in on, uh, on, on covering this weekend? Uh, well, for Mizzou and Alabama, both both teams have a lot of players here. Mizzou, I believe, yes. has eight players, which I think is the most that they've ever sent to the NFL Cup. So I think that's a testament to how uh, how good they were last year and how much uh, a lot of these guys were able to develop because especially looking at the Mizzou guys, a lot of them have been at Mizzou for a really long time. Darius Ryan, Chris Abrams, Drain, Ennis Rakestraw, like these guys have been in Columbia since 2019, 2020. And so the evolution of them has gone solely through Columbia. It's really, their, their trajectories have been very, very high. Um, and I think for guys like Darius Robinson, for guys like Ennis Rakestraw, especially, who wasn't able to compete in the Senior Bowl, uh, Tyron Hopper, who wasn't able to compete in the Senior Bowl, this, I, I think, is a really big opportunity for them to skyrocket even higher up draft boards um, for people that followed the senior bowl they saw that darius robinson moved up his stock like two rounds uh mel kuyper was out here the other day saying that he thinks that darius robinson might be a top 10 pick i don't know if that's going to happen but i can say with a lot more certainty now than 
a month ago that Darius Robinson could definitely be a, a back half of the first round player. And then when you look at a guy like Ennis Rakestraw, who again didn't get to compete in the senior bowl because he was still recovering from a core muscle injury, I think what he brings to the table is what a lot of NFL teams want nowadays out of a cornerback. He can play outside, super physical. He's willing to tackle, um, and, and he's not really afraid of any matchup. And so I think with a, a good week this week, Rakestraw, he's, he's currently projected, I think, late first round. I think he could easily find his way into the top 15 with a good performance this week. So what's this week mean then, uh, Quentin, for the program itself, from, for Eli Drinkwitz? I mean, Alabama, this is old hat. You've said you, you go send a dozen players to combine and you, and you get, you know, three, five, six first-round picks, depends on the year. Uh, but Missouri, you know, you want the, this to be sustainable. How important is this week for uh, Eli Drinkwitz and these guys to say, you know, we didn't have anybody that, you know, came to the combine and really busted, had a bad performance, looked terrible, you know, ha had that combine blow up in a meeting, had that bad story come out. Just just actually Missouri impressed uh, and kind of showed that they belong. Eight guys in the combine, that's a pretty good number. Yeah, um, Tyron Hopper talked about it when he was at the podium today. He said he felt like he still feels like, I guess, that Mizzou is disrespected in the SEC as an actual SEC school that's been running Joe for a really long time uh, amongst people that know that talk about college sports. And for Mizzou to have as many players as they do here at the Combine, uh, again, Hopper said it at um, the podium today, it's just a testament to how far they've come as a program and how far they came this past season from winning six games in 2022 to winning 11 in 2023 and ending it with a Cotton Bowl victory over a premier program like Ohio State. So I think this is just one of the many representations of Mizzou taking a huge step forward as a program and solidifying themselves as one as, as one of uh, the top programs in college football, not just from an actual record standpoint, but from a development standpoint too, because again, a lot of the players here have been in Mizzou for their entire careers and have gotten way better uh, over their time at Columbia. You can go to BamaCentral.com right now and read our guy Joey Van Zimmeren's piece on Dallas Turner up at the NFL Combine. What did you hear from Dallas? Dallas is um, – every time we talked to him this past year, you'd get good Dallas where I want to talk or bad Dallas where this is going to be a short interview. And, and that's fine. You, you wake up on different days. Uh, I imagine you got probably good Dallas today. What were your impressions of him? Uh, and really, is he going to end up being a top ten pick in this year's NFL draft? Uh, yes, definitely. We uh, we got a Dallas that was uh, willing to talk and uh, happy to talk to the media today. Um, he was a lot, asked a lot of questions that I um, included his answers to uh, in my article about just how he felt Alabama had prepared him um, for the NFL. Um, some might say it was naive of him to say that uh, he feels completely prepared for the NFL from just uh, being under Nick Saban for three years. Uh, but he re does really feel, um, at least from what he said today, um, confident um, that after training like a professional at Alabama for three years, uh, that he's going to be ready for the NFL That in that jump. Um, I think as far as draft stock, um, it's really hard to name a better um, draft or a, a pass rusher on the edge, at least, uh, than Dallas Turner in this year's class. Um, so, I mean, the, the top 10 picks this year are, are going to be very interesting to see how all of those play out. Um, so Dallas Turner, I mean, he does play a premium position, uh, but I just think the, the top 10, as far as uh, where he might go, uh, it's really going to be all dependent on what happens in front of him. Um, you know, how many quarterbacks go. Uh, those are usually the main decider on how the top half of that first round plays out. Um, but uh, he definitely has... Um, uh, one of the best stocks as far as pass rushers go and uh, interested to see how he does uh, um, tomorrow at Luke Soil Stadium drills um, because he is he just seems to be very uh, an athletic freak um, and I think he could uh, get some really good numbers tomorrow. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good weekend for him. I think he, uh, you're probably going to see a real good weekend from Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry and Arnold. Uh, it's, I'm going to be curious to see how athletically J.C. Latham scores. Uh, we remember a couple mm. of years ago he had uh, – it was it was Evan Neal who had the jump split box, and J.C. Latham, I think, did the same. Uh, and you, and so pretty, pretty good athletes, but I'm going to be curious to see 
how they test. Uh, when you look at Mississippi State, uh, we got to we got to talk about our friends at Cowboy Corner as well. They've got four prospects. Uh, they you know Dee uh, uh, Griffin, a wide receiver, Jaden Crumbody, uh, Nathaniel uh, Watson, and De Cameron Richardson. So, is there any of the like? Look, the Alabama guys. I think they're kind of locked in. The we know who they are because we Alabama is a high high profile program. We 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 know who the first round picks are, who the you know mid round picks are. Are there anybody? That's going to go after, I guess it's uh, Tula Griffin uh, the, 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 or, or any of these Mississippi State guys uh, early. Is anybody out there at the combine uh, that they can impress? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, are you following Mississippi State at all? Or, or, or we're not doing that. We're ignoring them. <laughs> no, we, we want, want to talk about our friends at Cowboy Corner. Come on. We want to include anybody. We're inclusive here on the <laughs> Joe Show. So, yeah. Um, what the the one that I wanted to talk about was Nathaniel Bookie Watson, um, whose nickname I didn't know was Book until last night, so that was cool. But uh, yeah, no, Nathaniel Watson. I think when you look at his prospect profile, I think something that people might cite is that he is more production over projection. Uh, as people know, uh, the draft in any sport is about projection over production. You look at another SEC guy like Trayvon Walker, who didn't really have uh, too much production. When he was at Georgia, uh, but still getting taken first overall because of how much he presented athletically. Um, like his projection was high enough to where the Jaguars were okay with him not producing that much at Georgia um, for him to be taken number one overall. Um, Nathaniel Watson, I think, is probably the opposite. Um, but at the same time, like I would argue he was one of Mississippi State's best defensive players, if not the, the best defensive player. Um, and so uh, I, Joey talked to him today, so I, I can't speak of anything he said it today in particular. But I think in terms of uh, production, he I think he produced enough to where people can overlook some of his projection concerns. And I still do think he can be a draft pick. So Joey, I think, can speak more on what he's today. But I do think he, he can and, and will get drafted at some point. Yeah. Uh, Watson, he, he spoke a lot about his versatility. Uh, I mean, he mentioned – that he, he played a wide receiver and at some point quarterback in high school. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he, he mentioned his versatility a lot um, as far as being an off-ball and on-ball linebacker. Uh, you know, watching um, a, a little bit of his play from last year, just a, a really fast guy. So I'll be interested to see how he tests. Seems to have great vision, too, uh, when he's playing inside. Um, uh, he also uh, – what's going to say – yeah, just spoke a lot about his versatility um, and uh, making the most of this opportunity here at the uh, NFL Combine. All right, Joey, uh, let's go inside baseball. What was it like meeting Aaron Nagler? I saw you get the shout-out. Uh, that, that was what's up. Uh, big, uh, I know I give you a hard time for the Packers love, but one of my best friends is a big Packers fan, and we go back and forth, uh, and he's a big Aaron Nagler fan. So uh, to see him oh. get a shout-out, good for you. Okay, yes. Uh, I've actually been friends with uh, Aaron for four years now. I've, I uh, uh, met him in 2020 when I attended the Combine as a fan. And, uh, yeah, he's been uh, a great uh, journalism mentor, uh, a great uh, person and great uh, at great Packers content. I always uh, view his Packers takes as the most level-headed. Uh, so if I ever am, like – if there's ever Packers news that I'm kind of freaking out about, I know I can uh, rely on Nagler to have a more uh, reason take, uh, probably because he's watched more football uh, and Packers football than me and has not had a um, as uh, blessed life as a fan uh, living through the Packers 70s and 80s. Uh, on that Packers note, uh, Matt Lafleur not showing up. I guess he doesn't think the combine is uh, is worth it. What do you what do you what do you think of the, the different NFL strategies? Because I do think, as we talk, I think we're in agreement, the meetings and the medicals are important. But you got some programs going, hey, we're sending everybody, and some we're sending just a couple. What do you think about the different NFL strategies? And if uh, Joey Van Zimmeren was in charge, NFL president of any program, what would your strategy be? Yeah. Um, I know Mike McDaniel was asked last year um, why he still went to the combine um, and why it was important for him to go. And he did mention those, you know, just getting to meet the, that prospect in person, um, which is a big thing. I think it's interesting to look at the, I think there was 12 NFL head coaches that did not attend here. Uh, 
uh, most of them were like of the the Sean McVay friends club. Uh, Sean McVay, Robert Sala, Matt Lafleur, um, Kyle Shanahan, and Dable uh, to Mike McCarthy. Uh, Dayball and McCarthy aren't in that uh, McVay tree, but yeah, like I said, twelve not going. And I, think the the main is, um, it was it was Mike Silver of NFL Network that tweeted this out uh, to not look too far into it, um, because you know the the main thing for these head coaches is get those interviews, but also like this is uh, a big networking week for not only us in the media, but for all of those coaches. Um, and so the ones that do go, like the main purpose for them is uh, to have an excuse to uh, have some shrimp cocktails uh, at St. Elmo's uh, Steak Bar. Um, and so I, I think for most of them, though, they they are of the opinion that they're just going to get more work done if they stay at the team facilities, uh, you know, stay there with the rest of their coaching staff. Um, but will be interesting to see over the next few years if that uh, trend continues to increase of coaches not attending. All right, Quentin. So a uh, question for you. Have you made it to St. Elmo's for shrimp cocktail? And secondly, on the more newsy side, what is your favorite piece of gossip or scuttlebutt that you've heard to come out of these last couple of days up there? Because that's all this week is about is just, oh, what are we going to do with an pick? We're going to trade this guy. That guy's getting released. This guy's getting a raise. Well, what's your favorite piece of uh, NFL gossip or news that's come out of the last three days while you've been in Indianapolis, hopefully eating shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo's. Well, uh, unfortunately for you and I guess our, our personal enjoyment of food, uh, we have not made it to St. Elmo's yet. Uh, I also uh, don't really have the financial vicinities for uh, a nice uh, nice steak at St. Elmo's, so, but but I'm okay on passing on that. We went to a steak and shake the other night and it was quite good. Oh, yeah. You got to get the milkshakes oh, yeah. out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it was, uh, that was nice. And then your second, second question asking what's the, the juiciest piece of gossip I've heard this week. I don't know if this is the juiciest, but whenever a coach or a GM was asked about their faith in ex-quarterback, they all were very quick to be like, yes, we believe in this starting quarterback. Joe Shane was very quick to say uh, that they have – and he has faith in Daniel Jones as the Giants starting quarterback. Uh, Dan Campbell – was very adamant that you can win a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. So it was it was very apparent. And then uh, Mike Daniel, that he was very encouraged by contract extension talks with Tua Tagovailoa. And he said he believes in him more now than he did in the past. And so a lot of the coaches and GMs, when they were grilled about the future of whatever starting quarterback they had on their team, they were very quick to be like, yeah, we, we still believe in them and we're still very much okay with them as, as our long-term starter. All right, Quentin, tell everybody where they can keep up with you and Joey up at the up at the NFL Combine. Yeah, so my Twitter handle is at Quentin Corpuel, so at Q-U-E-N-T-I-N-C-O-R-P-U-E-L. So you can follow me there on Twitter. I've been trying to tweet more. That was one of my New Year's resolutions. I figured this would be a good place to start here at the Combine. So I think I've been getting better at that. And uh, like Darius Robinson said today, he's just constantly trying to improve. He's uh, constantly evolving, and I'm trying to do the same with my social media presence. So, yeah, follow Quinta Corp on Twitter. Joey, tell yeah. them what you're up to the rest of the week and where they can follow you as well. Sure. Uh, my Twitter handle is at JoeyVC underscore. Uh, we're doing work all week for um, Zoo Central, uh, Cowboy Corner for Mississippi State, and then Bama Central as well. Uh, we'll have interviews uh with all these prospects throughout the week uh we're not getting out of town till sunday so we're stuck here in indy uh to talk about all these guys and how they're performing in indy uh so yeah it should be a fun one. hold on we're not stuck here in indy we we get to be here in indy That's, this is a, yes. this is a, this is yeah, a wonderful course, opportunity yeah. and uh, we're very thankful to be here all right quick yes. 10 seconds or less <laughs> fortress of a word on my heart 10 seconds or less what should my chicago bears for each of you do with the number one overall pick um, draft, the, draft the quarterback from USC. I agree. Caleb Williams. Quentin? I agree. I agree. Well done. Well done. You guys have a great rest of your week. We'll catch up with you on MizzouCentral.com, on, ba on BamaCentral.com, on CowbellCorner.com. You can follow the guys at JoeyVC underscore on X and at Quentin Corpuel on X as well. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe.
Yes, sir. That's good. Those Joey Van Zimmeren and Quentin Corpuel joining us from the NFL Combine. We appreciate them hanging out with us. Uh, you know, we made fun of it a bit yesterday. We need to uh, give it its uh, seriousness today. I do think the meetings are very valuable. The face-to-face uh, interactions, you get a good feel for the prospect. You get a good feel for who players are and just kind of uh, if they're a good fit for your system uh, or for, for your culture personally. Now, the drills... Thursday through Sunday is it good for TV. Is it fun for you for for me in the media? Yeah, is it that valuable for the NFL draft uh, stock? I don't quite think so. All right, let's go into three, two, one. Well, before we go into three, two, one, you can be like my friend Everett Osborne. You can comment on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube at Joe Gaither Six. What's going on, Everett? Thanks so much for hanging out and watching us today. You can uh, check out the next show at Druid City Music Hall. This Saturday night, Wade Bowen is going to be at Druid City Music Hall. Uh, you can find him Saturday, March 2nd. The tickets are right there at druidcitymusichall.com. Uh, you can find him on Saturday. The show will start at 9 o'clock like they usually do. And kind of country music feel, new soft country, uh, good little guitarist and a nice little voice. So it's going to be a great time at Druid City Music Hall on Saturday night. So let's get into 321. Today's 321 is going to be Nick Saban related. And it's very opinion-related, so feel free to jump in and give your own opinions at Joe Gaither 6 on any of the social medias or at Bama Central on the YouTube channel. The the three uh, the themes are three. It's going to be the three biggest non-Alabama wins in the Nick Saban era, the three teams that helped Alabama the most. It's going to be two. Number two, the two biggest Alabama losses in the Nick Saban era. And number one, it's going to be the single, the one best player in the Alabama era. So you can jump in and join us if you'd like. So let's get into three, two, one with number three. What are the three biggest non-Alabama wins in the Nick Saban era? Look, Alabama had six national championships in Coach Saban's uh, time, 17 seasons. They went to, what, nine national championship games. But you had to get a lot of help. Uh, you, know, you only had two undefeated teams, 2020 and 2009. You had to get a lot of help in certain years. Uh, so let's get right into it. I'm going to go with my number uh, – yeah, we'll go 3-2-1 in this number three. Number three, the third biggest non-Alabama win. Uh, I'm really is going to – I'm really making that as a, as a tie. And it's conference championship weekend conference championship weekend in 2017 do you like number six georgia beating number four auburn 28 to 20 uh 28 to 7 and then also same weekend just a couple hours later number eight ohio state beats number three wisconsin 27 to 21 now wisconsin was 12 and 0 and auburn was coming off what a 26 to 13 win over alabama in on the plane so yeah alabama was sitting at home you got a lot of help that weekend 27 17 uh that weekend i mean look georgia gets into the playoff alabama gets into the playoff both uh get into the playoff and you all know what happens later with the uh, second and 26 you celebrated second and 26 what two days ago uh look Alabama goes from five to four, and then they end up beating Clemson twenty-four to uh, twenty-four to six, and they end up beating Georgia. It is it's Nick Saban's fifth national championship, but you don't get the fifth national championship if Georgia doesn't win that SEC championship game. And while we think of Georgia as probably the, you know, it's probably the stronger program. If you're watching this show, you you obviously have you might ne- you might have negative feelings for Auburn. Uh, Auburn was the favorite. Auburn, Auburn was was the higher ranked team. They went into Athens or went into Atlanta and uh, and laid an egg in the SEC championship game, uh, thus making the Iron Bowl a little bit irrelevant. But you also had to get uh, Ohio State beating Wisconsin. Wisconsin was a twelve and zero team. Uh, Ohio State had lost a, a game or two earlier in the season, so they came into the game at number eight. They only went from number eight to number six. Uh, they didn't end up getting into the playoff, but they did their job for Alabama, knocking out Wisconsin. Uh, so you have both uh, conference championship games breaking your way in 2017, making uh, opening up the path for Alabama to beat Clemson in the Sugar Bowl, and then obviously second and 26, uh, beating Georgia in the national championship game for Nick Saban's fifth national title. The, the second biggest non-Alabama win in Nick Saban's era is probably – 
while it's the craziest as far as play, as far as the plays that happened in the game, uh, number one is a bigger upset. Number one is a 27-point upset. But number two is Arkansas over Ole Miss, 53-52 to in overtime in 2015. Now, this is November 7th, right? Take you back. Alabama's sitting right there second in the SEC West trying to, you know, you found Jake Coker is your quarterback. You know Derrick Henry is your uh, the engine of your offense. Your defense is coming along pretty nicely, uh, but you still need some help due to, because of the early season loss to Ole Miss. Arkansas is trailing in the game. It's in overtime, fourth and 25. You get the pass out to Hunter Henry, and he's well short. And Hunter Henry, what, throws it way over his head. Alex Collins gets the first down. And then, okay, you end up scoring the touchdown, and Arkansas decides to go for two to win the game. And you're sitting there as an Alabama fan, as an Alabama supporter, thinking, oh, my gosh, it's make your break, do or die time. Arkansas uh, doesn't get it. They've come up short. Oh, flag on the play. Face mask on Ole Miss. Uh, redo. And you had Brandon Allen get into the end zone for the two-point conversion to basically, uh, you know, knock Ole Miss out of uh, out of contention, out of the uh, out of the driver's seat in the SEC West and open the door for Nick Saban's fourth national championship in 2015. And my, uh, my number one, the biggest non-Alabama victory in the Nick Saban era came in 2011, Iowa State. You all remember uh, the game of the century, 9-6. to six. You're in Tuscaloosa. Oh, yeah, field goal fest. You couldn't move the football against LSU. Knocked you out of kind of the immediate national championship picture. But Iowa State takes on Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, you got to remember, they didn't have the big – it was the first year of not having the Big 12 championship. So the season is coming to a head. They've got Iowa State and Oklahoma as their last couple of games. And Iowa State, a 27-point underdog. Beats Oklahoma State 37-31 in two overtimes. Brandon Whedon, you went on to play uh, NFL quarterback with the Browns and the Cowboys, threw what, uh, three interceptions? One for a 70-yard pick six. He threw an interception the first play of the second overtime. They had five turnovers in the game. He did throw for almost 500 yards, 476. But, like, crazy, just absolutely crazy uh, to have a 27-point underdog win and knock out Oklahoma State and open the door for Alabama's rematch against LSU. So you had three big, huge wins, uh, by, by and improbable, really. Now, not so much for number three with Georgia and Ohio State getting uh, getting conference championship wins in 2017. But number two, but the, but the other two, Arkansas, they finished third in the SEC West that year. Uh, so you got the upset. Iowa State was not good. They were six and seven. They lost a bowl game. They lost a bowl game, and they knocked out a team that was uh, really flying high. They had just beaten Texas Tech or Baylor sixty-six to six the week earlier. So Oklahoma State really was pathway to pathway to playing LSU again. Uh, pathway to playing LSU in in, in Baton Rouge, or in New Orleans. If none of these things happen, and look, there are more. There, there are more that, that happen in, in other years. But if none of these things happen, that's three national championships that uh, three of Nick Saban's six national titles that just uh, kind of had a lot of help from other programs. Now you had to win the national championship game or that last bowl game. Uh, but it just, in my opinion, goes to show how razor's edge, the margins uh, for some of these, for, for, for really successful coaches and non-successful coaches. You've won six national championships, Nick Saban, but you had some things break your way. Now, we'll get into it in just a second. Some things that didn't break Alabama's way where you could have won more national championship games and you could have set more records uh, because you did have that good of talent here in Tuscaloosa over the last 17 seasons. But you're living in, in very, very thin margins uh, and I think number three shows you that with three huge non-Alabama wins that opened the door for the Crimson Tide to basically win three of that Nick Saban's six national titles. If you've got a different opinion for one of the – or an honorable honorable mention, you can jump in at, on the comments at Joe Gaither 6 or you can find me on any of the social medias at the same place uh, and shoot me a DM. Number, uh, number two, you've got the two biggest losses, right? Uh, yeah, there we go. Let me flip my page. The two biggest losses in the Nick Saban era, uh, you know, and you can define biggest in however you want. Like, obviously, you can go biggest and say biggest upset, I guess, ULM in 2007, or you can go biggest as far as blowout. You go with the uh, the national championship loss against Trevor Lawrence, what, 44 to uh, 16 or whatever that was. You can go biggest as far as uh, ones that hurt you the worst. 
but I'm going to go first uh, with I'm going to go first with 2016. My most disappointing loss. 2016 is to me Nick Saban's best team that never won a national championship. You have Nick Saban's best defense, in my opinion. You look through the defense, and it's pro after pro after pro after pro. And little sneak peek, the number one player might be on that defense as we get into later into the next part of this. Uh, But they they allowed 13 points per game that season. They had uh, what? They had what eleven non not non uh eleven defensive touchdowns and four uh non defensive touchdowns so four special teams touchdowns as well that season they were beating teams all over the place but Deshaun Watson oh my gosh Deshaun Watson and Hunter Renfro on the pick play beat you thirty five to thirty one in the national championship game down there in in Tampa you you put the best defense on the field on the on the field for ninety nine plays uh the final drive nine plays sixty eight yards and obviously finishing it off with the Hunter Renfro pick play, the oh, to me is the biggest loss, the most painful loss. Uh, and why? It didn't have to happen that way. You didn't really have a good offensive day that day. Obviously, uh, Bo Scarborough uh, gets hurt in the third quarter and your running game goes kaput. But you've got SEC Offensive Player of the Year, Jalen Hurts. Oh, he's having a tough day. What was he, 13 of 31? Why? Because you fired your offensive coordinator two days before the game. Two days before the game, you blow maybe your best, uh, your most talented defense for sure, but maybe your best overall team and perhaps potentially a chance to go three in a row, 15, 16, and 17. You won in 15. You won in 17. You blow the game at the end of the game because you got your defense on the field for 99 bleeping plays. Now, Deshaun Watson, great. Great, great college player. Absolutely. And you've seen him have success and troubles in the NFL, but a great collegiate player. And that Clemson team was very, very good. Absolutely. But to go up against the 2016 defense that just had stud after stud after stud on the field, uh, all over the place, Ruben Foster, Jonathan Allen, you, you, you've got all kinds of talent all over the place. Uh, but And you give up the nine-play 68-yard uh, nine drive at the end of the game because, really, you couldn't sustain the offense. Uh, Clemson scored, what, 21 points in the fourth quarter to Alabama's just one touchdown. Uh, you couldn't sustain the offense and keep the defense off the field. Uh, so, to me, that. Oh, is the biggest loss in the Nick Saban era because one, it cost you a national championship, duh. But two, I think that was honestly Nick Saban's best team. Uh, defensively, I don't know if there's a good argument. I mean, 2011 has a good argument. Uh, defensively, obviously, we know what they did in the national title game, but I think 2016's defense is the, the best Alabama defense in the Nick Saban era. Now, number two. Uh, look, everybody's going to say kick six, and kick six is on my uh, on my honorable mention. I've got kick six on my honorable mention. I've got the 2010 Iron Bowl on my honorable mention, and I've got the 2021 college football championship game against Georgia on my honorable mention. So what is number one? You think, oh, man, nothing hurts worse than the kick six. Nothing hurts worse than, than the comeback. And you're probably right, but let's, be, let's, let's look inside a game. You lose in 2019 to the LSU Tigers, and people now claim and crown the LSU Tigers in 2019. A lot of people claim them as the best team ever in college football. Now, you've got definite arguments to go different ways, but it's undoubtedly one of the best offenses. You've got Joe Burrow. You've got you, you had players all over the place. You had Clyde Edwards-Alaire doing all kinds of things. You had it was a great offense. Obviously, Donald Trump came to the game, brought a huge, uh, huge amount of attention to the game. It was a massive game. What is that? Alabama, Alabama should should have won the game. Uh, oh, that, that, that's probably on a loop. That's great. Alabama should 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 have won the game. You lost forty six to forty one. Right. All right. So, and you think, oh, great, you lost an offensive shootout, but that's not really what happened. Uh, you came out in the first half against you know great team, great program, right there at home. Uh, and really, you allowed Ed Orgeron to give himself, you know, look himself in the mirror until the day he dies and say, oh, 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 I beat Alabama. I beat Alabama. Uh, you remember everything that happened after the game, LSU-wise, as far as, oh, we've taken over. It's our house, this, that, and the other. But, no, in the first half, to, and, and think about this offense. You've got now 2017, the offense that we just kind of highlighted uh, with, 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 the, uh, with, with the second and 26. You have – 
Tua Tungavaloa. You've, you've got Najee Harris. You've got Devontae Smith. You've got Jalen Waddle. You've got literally the who's who on the offensive side of the football. And you come out and you fumble in the red zone. You throw an interception at the end of the half that turns into a touchdown. You mishandle a punt right there at midfield. You go turnover on downs right there at midfield. And you're down 33-13 to 13 at halftime. So you've spotted these jokers who are a great offense, and you give them their flowers. They went on to crush it in the, uh, and, and win a national championship. But you give them their flowers. The second half, though, Alabama, you know, wins the second half, 28-13, to 13, and it's shootout back and forth, back and forth. You remember, you couldn't ever get the stop down the stretch. Alabama's defense got three straight stops to come out of the locker room in the second half. But at the end of the day, it was LSU that came out to win. Now you think about uh, <laughs> you think about uh, you, you think about what that happened. Look, everybody thinks about oh well, you you ended up going to the Citrus Bowl anyway, so you didn't make the championship game, and Tua broke his hip the uh, the next week. But if you had won against LSU, if you had not had those four terrible stops in the first half then what kind of mindset is the team going into Starkville the next week? Now, obviously, they did handle their business against Mississippi State, but you end up having the bad Tua Tungvaloa injury and a derail the season. You go down to Auburn and Mac Jones, those two inter- two pick sixes, one of them one of the luckiest pick sixes in the world, uh, but you have a shootout with Auburn. Like That team was national championship worthy. And so, to me, the 2019 LSU loss uh, comes in as one of the two be- worst losses in the Nick Saban era. Now, my honorable mentions are that of the kick six. I mean, the kick six prevented you from from uh, likely three-peating, just like the, the 2016 loss uh, against Clemson. Now, the 2021 national championship game against Georgia – you know, yes, I'm happy for my parents and the, the side of my family that, that supports the Georgia Bulldogs, but it did change the dynamics in college football in, in a huge way. It broke the barrier for Georgia, a 40-year barrier, and you give them the, their credit. But you could have won the game if you don't have bad luck with Jamison Williams and then obviously a, a couple of weeks earlier with John Mechie. Uh, but you take the injury law, the injury luck as it is. I hate using that as excuses. Alabama didn't develop wide receivers beyond Jamison Williams and John Mechie, and you can blame the youth in the wide receiver room that year. Or, you know, you just chalk it up to Georgia being better. But uh, it just is what it is. I think that's one of, uh, one of the honorable, honorable mentions. Now, the, 26, uh, the 2010 comeback, that's just a personal memory for me. That's just a personal, you know, I was in school, young kid at the time. You're up to, uh, what, 24 to 24 to nothing on the uh, on Auburn, and you're trying to derail their national championship hopes, and you're trying to, oh, get that cheater, Cam Newton. You know, oh, we know he got paid. Shoot, $180,000 these days is chump change for a starting quarterback. But allegedly, allegedly, that's what he was paid to go to the, go to Auburn. And so when I'm in, this, I'm in the stands hooting and hollering. You see Mark Ingram fumble through the end zone at the end of the half, and you don't think anything of it until, what, an hour and a half later, Cam Newton is smiling those pearly whites, and uh, the Auburn Tigers are getting out of there. Oh, that broke my heart just from a personal standpoint. Now, number one is going to be who is the number one, the best player in the Nick Saban era. And obviously, all of this, this entire segment is subjective and, uh, and, and opinion-based. And we invite you to jump in with your own opinions at Joe Gaither 6 on any of the social media machines. You can be like Scott Troxel and hear my Coach Owen Pressons. Uh, he thought it was all right. All right, nice Coach Owen Presson. I appreciate that. Uh, maybe a six out of ten. We'll see if we can get, get it any better in the future. But for me, my number one player in the Nick Saban era it's not Derrick Henry. It's not Devontae Smith. Uh, it's not Julio Jones. It's Minka Fitzpatrick. Minka Fitzpatrick comes into the capstone as a five-star recruit. Now, here's the, like, look, Minka did it all three years at a high level. They don't give out Heisman trophies for defensive backs, but my man was a Benaric Award winner, a Thorpe Award winner, a two-time All-SEC. He was all-freshman. Uh, he was unanimous All-American, nine career interceptions, five defensive touchdowns, one uh, punt return for a touchdown. He's the first player in Alabama history to have two inter- uh, to have two pick sixes in a game. Go back to Texas A&M, uh, 2015. He he intercepts. Uh, he, he gets two pick sixes in a game, and the next year he sets the record for longest pick six in a game against Arkansas. Uh, the record book says 100 yards, but if you remember the play, he was halfway into the end zone. He ran 106 yards back on Arkansas as a part of that best defense. Uh, best defense 
in the Nick Saban era, 2016. Uh, look, he ended up going on to the NFL, number 11 overall pick of Miami Dolphins, traded to the Pittsburgh Steelers, signed to a uh, $74 million contract extension in 2022. Like you ask about the best player in the Nick Saban era, why not compare or why not choose the player that most people compare to Nick Saban? Oh, he has the Nick Saban mentality. He approaches every, every day, you know, process-oriented. Nick Saban and Minka Fitzpatrick were very, very close, and he produced at all three all three years. Started basically from his second game freshman year. Now a lot of people are making comparisons, uh, future-related. Caleb Downs, his great year this, this past year, unfortunately transferring to Ohio State. But I think Minka Fitzpatrick is the best player, overall player, in the Nick Saban era. He's a two-time national champion, and that's what Alabama fans uh, value the most. Uh, it, look, he went on to be NFL, NFL co-interceptions leader in 2022. He's been to the Pro Bowl four times, and I guess the NFL is not really a part of this, but his time at Alabama uh, was in Incredible, 110 total tackles. He had five total sacks. He had 274 total uh, interception yards, 24 official pass deflections. He was all over the field. And I know he was a part of the Hunter Renfro, Nick Saban, you know, Clemson game. Uh, Hunter Renfro kind of torched him at, at, at that time. But he went on to become such a consistent player. People are going to chime in with their own, and they have chimed in with their own. Oh, uh, Derrick Henry is a great pick, and absolutely, you look at the four Heisman Trophy winners, and they are the obvious selection. But I don't want to take the, the low hanging fruit. Derrick Henry, he's a one year wonder. If we're if we're being harsh, if we're being objective, I mean, look, that 2015 was absolutely insane. How many carries did he get down at Auburn to uh, win the game? And <laughs> granted, that the offensive line was very good, but Derrick Henry really only won was the dude for that one season. People talk about Devontae Smith, and, and Devontae Smith is probably your best comparison on the offensive end because he, he did it, what, for four years and finished it with a Heisman Trophy and a national championship in 2020. I think he's your best candidate from an offensive perspective. But even Devontae Smith, in the early part of his going, he was uh, hanging out with his boy uh, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Jalen Waddle, part of the writeouts. And you're getting passed to by uh, Tua Tungvaluwa, by Mac Jones, and by Bryce Young. Uh, so you're getting a pretty good amount of help. But I do think Devontae Smith is your best candidate from an offensive standpoint. Uh, people talk about Bryce Young. And I think Bryce Young, honestly, if you talk about Bryce Young, for me, he is Alabama's best quarterback in the Nick Saban era. But he never won a championship as a starter. And while I think the championship is a little bit overblown, and that's why it makes the 2021 loss to Georgia uh, a one of our honorable mentions, the national championship is a standard here at the University of Alabama, and Bryce Young didn't win a national title as a starter. And a lot of people throw out Julio Jones, and I appreciate Julio, but Julio, in my opinion, doesn't get considered because of his usage. You can blame John Parker Wilson, or you can blame Greg McElroy, or you could just say Alabama's great running game during that time, uh, Trent Richardson, Mark Ingram, and the and the like, Glenn Coffey throughout his time, Eddie Lacy as well, just a little bit. I think that Julio was obviously very, very important to the Alabama dynasty, and, and we've talked about what he means to Alabama as a recruit. But as far as a player, his time here in Tuscaloosa uh, only scratched the surface of what his potential uh, ended up being, and, and we saw, we've saw we seen what his potential has kind of ended up being with a great, great NFL career. Scott Troxell jumps in on Facebook. In terms of linebacker, I would submit Rolando McClain, and I love, love, love that answer, Rolando McClain is often forgotten about uh, from a linebacker's perspective. You've had a lot of great linebackers, but Roe was a leader. Look, people talk about Reuben Foster. Their leader gene, their gene <laughs> is very, very similar. Their, uh, we're going to go out there and take some uh, take some souls mentality is very, very similar. And so a lot of the uh, uh, Johnny-come-latelys enjoy Reuben Foster for, for his big old hits, but Ruben, uh, but Rolando McClain was the original, and I would submit Rolando McClain was the better athlete and was the rangier player and was the better prospect in the from an NFL standpoint. Obviously, both guys had their NFL careers. 
uh, go off the rails in different ways. But if I were an NFL GM and you offered me both Reuben Foster or Rolanda McLean coming out of coming out of uh, time coming out of Alabama during their time, I would have been taking Rolanda McLean and been very very happy with it. Now, obviously, hoping to hoping to keep him on a better path. But uh, I love that answer, Scott Troxel. So that's going to be our three two one today. We appreciate everybody who chimed in. Actually, let me go to our Twitter and uh, we can find a, we had a couple of really good submissions. Uh, so as we pull up our phone and uh, do this on the fly because that's how professional do it uh you can always jump in on we're gonna keep three two one as a weekly segment you can find our uh find us on on twitter on facebook on instagram really all the social medias at joe gaither six and here are yeah daniel daniel taubman uh, I really enjoyed his. Daniel Topman also agreed. Uh, Iowa State over Oklahoma State in 11. Arkansas over Ole Miss in 15. And Georgia over Auburn in 17. He nailed all three of ours, actually. Uh, and then for his two, his two biggest losses, either the kick six uh, the kick six or the Clemson loss in 16 or Georgia in 21. So he liked two of our honorable mentions a little bit better. And then he made the offensive selection, Devontae Smith, as his best overall player. We had a lot of good submissions. Let's see, Wendell Hare also chimed. Chimed in on the Facebook side of things, I, I believe. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Let me find my. Oh, I'm on the wrong Facebook side. That's great. Uh, but we really appreciate everybody who jumps in and joins us on all the comments. Uh, Wendell Hare. Yeah, here we go. His three is the 2011 uh, TCU beating Iowa, uh, be beating number five Boise State, uh, and then Iowa State beats Oklahoma State. Baylor beats number four Oklahoma. So you had a crazy year in 2011 and 12. And his two Auburn's kick six and my number one Deshaun Watson last minute drive. And then he picked Derrick Henry for his best overall player in the Nick Saban era. So you guys can always jump in and join us on all the social media machines, and we appreciate you doing that. Remember tonight. Alabama's taking on Ole Miss in basketball. We're going to have coverage right there at Bama Central and BamaCentral.com. Our man, Blake Byler and Matthew Gibson, will be bringing that to you. It's going to be a huge chance for Alabama to bounce back. Uh, you saw Kentucky Reed Shepard with 32 bleeping points yesterday uh, to break Mississippi State's heart. That kid is an, an amazing player, and, Miss, and Kentucky wins a very difficult road game uh, and keeps their, their season going. So it's going to be a huge night tonight covering Alabama basketball. We'll be all over it. We will get you ready for the weekend. College game day coming soon. We'll follow an Eric Anders fight. Our man Eric Anders is stepping inside the Octagon UFC fight night this Saturday as well. So it's going to be a huge weekend ahead. You can follow it at Bama Central and BamaCentral.com. This has been the Joe Gaither Show. We appreciate Joey Van. Zimmerman and Quentin Corpuel joining us from the NFL Combine. Uh, we appreciate you guys jumping in and joining us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on Amazon. You can subscribe, rate, and review the show on those platforms at the Joe Gaither Show on Bama Central. And you can share it with a friend, an Alabama fan, or an Alabama hater if you like. And you can find us each and every day at BamaCentral.com. Remember, Wade Bowen is going to be at the Druid City Music Hall this coming Saturday, and you can get tickets at Druid City Music call.com. Thanks for joining us on today's edition of the Joe Gaither Show on Bama Central. Keep up with Joe on all his social media pages at Joe Gaither 6. Subscribe, rate, and review the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and be sure to read us daily at BamaCentral.com. <laughs>